Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, everybody, we want to take a second to talk to you about an amazing sponsor. We have an amazing relationship with RayAllen.com. Ray Allen is a one-stop shop for everything dog, not just working dogs. Everything dog that you need, you can go down there, check them out, RayAllen.com. Awesome people. They got everything you need. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with a dog trip. They've been with us from the start. Uh, great collars, great ball poppers, great GPS tracking, big dog, small dog, bark collars, everything. I got everything like that they have at the kennel. We use it every day. Be sure to head them up, dogtrip.com. Listen for the discount code later in the episode. Hey, guys, it's going to happen. August 16th through the 19th, HITS is coming back. The HITS Canine Conference in Orlando, Florida, August 16th through the 19th. Get on there. It's the biggest, the best. Check it out. Hitscanine.net. Hitscanine.net. Get registered now. Take the guesswork out of making sure you're feeding your working dog correctly by using Kinetic Dog Food. Hit them up at kineticdogfood.com and look them up on the Instagrams at kineticdogfood. Take all the guesswork out and do it right from the beginning. We love Horizon Structures. Dude, this stuff is so awesome, man. You can get online. You can talk to them. You could build it. You want from mild to wild. They'll come bring it to your place, set it down on your pad, hook up your power, hook up your water, and you can put dogs in it that day. If you don't believe me, check out some guys like uh, Justin Rigney. He's got a great setup there. Ask him. Check him out. Horizonstructures.com. All right. We are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. I am Ted Summers uh, from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, as always, is uh, Eric Stambro from Canton, Ohio. Eric, what's up? Um, things are going wrong. I have uh, seven dogs in the kennel, seven police dogs, green, green dogs. I have, uh, I had eight. Um, I had uh, Knox County Sheriff's Office that has eight of my dog. Well, they have eight now. Seven of my dogs previously, they um, came up. Tested out. They needed one more for a class they have. They already got two for me. They need one more. They came out, tested out some dogs. Dude, I have a, a shepherd. I, th- I think I may have mentioned in the last the last podcast at the beginning where I, this guy reached out to me from North Carolina. He's a cop. They got a dog in for an agency that um, decided they didn't want a dual purpose dog. They got a single purpose dog. They, they went a single. So this dog bites. You know, He's on the bite suit and everything. He reached out to me. I had a buddy of mine there. He's close to Tennessee. I had a buddy of mine go test the dog. This is like August or September. Test the dog. He, he lets me know. He goes, yeah, it's pretty good. You know, he, he does good. I didn't see any problems. It wasn't a uh, glowing recommendation, but it wasn't bad. It was just the just the demeanor of the, of the way this particular buddy of mine uh, talks. He's pretty even keeled. So I just, I had so much going on. I would keep forgetting. And I kind of just, I feel bad. I would put the guy off for a while because I'm like, man, I, I don't know him and all this other stuff. Well, finally I said, you know what? Screw it. We'll bring him in. He's a, he's a good import dude. I regret not getting this dog back when he first tested it. I I'm so stupid. This dog is a, an absolute savage, a savage on the bite work on the hunt on everything and he is the only downside of him he's humongous he's 84 but it's it's he he wears it like he's 110 pounds he's all muscle it's crazy he's so strong the the knox county guys came and they're like yeah we 
we can't take him. He's the he's the best dog you have. We can't take him because the handler is 140 pounds. It the dog's a beast, man. The bite work is un, incredible. So he's a he's a special boy. I really like him. Uh, social kind of he's two, but he's kind of puppiest, but he is a hammer, very athletic. And um, you know, we always talk about you got to have that big dog in your kennel because you know the agencies will come through and go, I want that big one. I don't know, man. Be careful what you wish for. He's a lot. So you know, big one of my favorite dogs visited today at the kennel. Uh, Your big Dutch or Malinois, 127 pounds. He took him to the vet last week. He's 120, and he doesn't look fat. He's just a big ass dog. Yeah, yeah, he's he's, real uh, tall, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's fucking huge. Uh, Yeah, he and one of my interns hadn't seen him, and I had another handler here, a brand new green handler, uh, dual purpose handler. He's like, Jesus, that's the biggest Malinois I've ever seen. I was like, I've been doing this a long time. That's the biggest one I've ever seen. He's Mm -hmm. huge. That, and I found out today that one of my. uh, German Shepherd, I trained north of here, retired today. So uh, big, Bo- big Borg doesn't have to out anymore. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> good job, buddy. You don't got to out anymore. Those days uh, are over, pal. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, other than that, I got five dogs at the kennel. Um, they're all sold. They were sold before they. Well, most of them were sold before they got here. But yeah. Um, tracking today, and then I've got a three handlers showing up on two days from now whatever day that is that are uh coming up to work the green dogs uh their green dogs while i'm training them up and i got back from san francisco from hrd and got stuck in san francisco oh you had to take the red eye to atlanta nice. because of the snowstorm snow apocalypse in oklahoma but hey it's 70 degrees today so there's that <laughs> <laughs> not here no yeah so we're yeah. supposed to get crushed on friday again i, I saw that it's weird our weather for this year in ohio has been a little much for ohio usually we'll yeah. get snow and cold ah man four or five days and then it kind of warms up a little bit and then we get dropped you know crushed but it doesn't stay this three four weeks now of snow ice cold single digits in the morning i hate it hate it so, it was 17 uh, below one morning at the kennel. I was like, this is some bullshit right here. Nah, nah. Bullshit. Our buddy up, Jeremy, up in Wisconsin. I think he's in Green, Jeremy's in Green Bay or just outside. Yeah. He didn't even put pants on until it's like 20 below. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, he's walking around. Like, sissies. He's, it's always that one dude, him and Daryl Ritchie. Mm-hmm. And Daryl lives in Texas. Though. I don't think Daryl owns pants. Um, but, yeah, so who, uh, who do we have going? What do we got going on tonight? So, um, we, uh, you know, I had Cameron Ford here for a seminar and Cameron and I talk a lot, you know, and, um, he was here for his cognition seminar and his odor pays. And we really got into, uh, talking about, you know, training aids and things like that. And, you know, Cameron's super duper particular about what he uses. He does a lots and lots of research on, you know, deliver uh, odor delivery vehicle, so to speak, what you put them in and then what odors you're using and whether you're using um, live explosives, some sort of uh, version of it, uh, pseudo, all kinds of stuff. He's 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 a real nerd about that. And he, you know, and it's good. We have guys like that. Right. Yeah. And if you've ever listened to his podcast, I mean, that is we're going to do another one because I think he's going to blue line. So we'll do we'll catch up with him. But yeah, I mean, he's yeah, for sure. Yeah, if you listen to this podcast, you'll put tape on the middle of your glasses. You, he nerds it up so much. So, um, 
But so we started talking about uh, this company called Precision Explosives. And um, and we'll get into it later because they also are involved in the narcotics side of things, too. So uh, he's like, yeah, man, we got to get the guy and you got to get him on. He's really good. Check out his stuff. So our guest today is Todd Wilbur. He's the president of Precision Explosives LLC. Um, I'm going to just read the bio that we sent because it explains it better than I can. Um, and we already talked to Todd. His wife was the uh, great person who wrote this. He Todd's like, I'm a Neanderthal. I can't write shit. So, um, so Todd Wilbur's worked for uh, over 20 years in counterterrorism as a responder, researcher, policy writer, and senior manager. He responded to various incidents at the local, national, and transnational uh, levels. His experience includes battlefield firsthand experience with uh, IEDs, which is insanely scary. Um, he conducted research on various uh, improvised explosives and, or improved explosives and developed uh, novel render safe procedures for IEDs as well as nuclear devices. No, thank you. Um, that's Ted, Ted and I just say nope to that type of stuff. Um, Mr. Wilbur is uh, completing work on new broad use desensitization solutions and techniques for uh, powdered primary explosives. He has worked in U.S. Army Special Operations, additionally as a program manager and researcher at the National Labs, a senior energy official for real-world emergencies, and contra contractor for State Department, leading indigenous personnel and explosives hazard mitigation during combat operation. Other duties include providing senior management direction for the overall safety, security, and environmental compliance for the Energy Materials Research and Testing Center. As an ad, adjunct uh, professor, he worked with graduate students and faculty to characterize primary explosives and develop chemical safe solutions. This is a guy that you want in this country. This is a guy that we need around. And so uh, without further ado, welcome, Todd. Todd, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Really appreciate you coming on, man. That's yeah. Granted, that was... Uh, my bio is about three lines. He's uh, a knuckle dragger who cusses a lot. That would be my bio, but yours is <laughs> definitely a lot better. White people. Yeah. My and my wife, wife uh, would write that. <laughs> my wife uh, is very kind. And usually for uh, our presentations, she makes it three lines. Um, nice. All around fat ass, uh, <laughs> likes explosives. Yeah. Won't take out the garbage dysfunctional veteran yeah right there you it. go so let's let's uh do what we, what we typically do is get into like our guest bio a little bit talk about like where you're from and how how your life proceeded to today uh i would say i took advantage of some really unique opportunities as they presented themselves and um uh, just tried things and uh never expected to succeed at any of it but got lucky, had some great mentors. Um, I started off in the army in the late eighties and was a Sentinel to tomb of the unknown soldier. And later after leaving the tomb, uh, went to EOD school and there somebody said, uh, you know, you're in pretty good shape. So, uh, there are going to be some guys that might do some recruiting and, uh, this, this thing called Delta force. I'm like, dude, that's not real. That's a movie. Hmm. And so Lo and behold, a couple of years later, I was uh, selected to go to the unit and uh, was an EOD technician there. 
graduated from OTC 31 and uh, got to meet some absolute legends and uh, later went on to work at the National Labs, did uh, work in nuclear emergency response and uh, nuclear counterterrorism. Um, got to have some great adventures at the labs. You wouldn't think that being around a bunch of geeks would be a lot of fun, but when you get to travel to places like the Olympics in Sydney, uh, go to faraway places like Moscow and their equivalent national laboratories, it was, a, it was an amazing ride. Um, later, I did scummy contract work because my wife at the time was about to become my boss. She and I both worked at the Department of Energy. She was about to get promoted, so I had to move on, and that later led me to uh, going to Afghanistan as a contractor for State Department, which was uh, an incredible experience because being a, uh, a contractor for State Department, you are basically on your own. They give you mm. some money, guns, some cars, and uh, a pat on the head, and you're left to your own devices from there. Had some, uh, some formed some phenomenal bonds with uh, my Afghan brothers, we lived and worked in a safe house out of Jalalabad in Nangarhar province. You, uh, you probably would know Nangarhar province because that's the location where the raid on bin Laden's house was uh, staged out of. Mm. And uh, we worked on literally hundreds of IEDs and destroyed tens of thousands of pounds of ordnance and homemade explosives. And uh, I was able to sponsor seven of the families to come to the United States. Some of them wow. lived with me. And uh, it was fantastic. Um, my wife at the time passed away and uh, I had started to do other contract work, basically teaching canine folks about explosives. I don't really remember how that initially started, but uh, it was a lot of fun to uh, kind of step into a whole different world. And uh, then one day said, somebody asked, can you sell us explosives? Can you make training aids can you do these things and so just kind of flourish from there and uh i've tried uh to maintain that my expertise is in uh bombs explosives uh explosives research but i am not a dog guy and i don't want to be a dog guy hmm. um if you ask me a dog behavior question i'm going to refer you to somebody who is much smarter and more experienced i may tell you something that somebody said to me that i respect but i will not um, I will not go into, uh, I won't get out my, outside my lane. You want yeah. to talk about explosives, we can geek out, but dogs, that's yours. So back when you were doing the, um, doing the EOD stuff in the unit, uh, if you look forward now, when you were learning or uh, coming up with all the render safe procedures and everything, did you reflect back on things that were happening when you were EOD and go, yeah, yeah, we should have been doing this then. You know, that one of the unique things about that atmosphere, whether you're uh, army, Navy, doesn't matter, but the, the unique thing about uh, the soft world, I know you guys have had a lot of uh, soft operators uh, on your podcast. And I'm sure you probably get this often. The, the thing that enables uh, folks in that community to excel um, sure, you have to have some, some initiative and some drive and some, some abilities, but it's more the environment that fosters the idea of free thinking, the idea that you can uniquely, unconventionally solve problems. Mm -hmm. And so basically everything that I learned has, has uh, enabled me 
and sometimes saved my life um, uh, downrange, but everything enabled what has happened today. And I'm extremely grateful for that opportunity. I don't think looking back that, I don't think that we had a complete picture because we had, didn't have uh, as much experience as what we do now, but I don't think we were wrong if, if that answers your question. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. Um, and also going back to uh, like all those IEDs and everything. So I worked for Cobra K9 for a little while on the West Coast for the NSW contract doing dogs. And at the time, I think we were coming, if I remember right, we were coming towards uh, an end of a, a period where everything they were seeing over there was RDX based, you know, military grade explosive stuff. When you were over there, did you see, I, I know you said you have uh, HMEs, but what, what were you looking at? What were you finding as what they were using for the explosives? Well, obviously, the, um, if anybody thinks that somebody without an education, uh, let's say looking at Afghans, thinks that they're stupid, you're stupid because they're extremely resourceful and uh, they're very good at reutilizing um, ordnance and things like that. So to find somebody who uh, packed the fuse well of mortars or any other type of projectile landmines, they'll definitely use that. Mm. But the predominant homing explosive that we saw was ammonium nitrate based uh, or potassium chloride based. And they would often do fuel oxidizer mixtures. I was very surprised to see automatic transmission fluid uh, used with potassium chlorate automatic transmission fluid and diesel fuel used with ammonium nitrate, corn oil, corn meal. There was an endless variety. The, the, metallic, uh, the metallic aluminum that's used to make uh, metallic uh, car paint was also very prevalent. We found we, thousands of cans. We had- uh, they basically make their own tannerite. Who the hell was that? Oh, it was Travis Bobo. Uh, he was- uh, one of the group guys and they found some early versions of that. And he was like, they were marking off areas with the EOD guy and the dog kept, kept alerting to spray paint. And they're like, what the hell? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he told the story. He was like, dude, they were spraying this into like a bucket or something like a hobo. And then once it dries, they scrape it off. I'm like, wow. So sure. yeah, I, you can say they're resourceful. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that was, that was in, I don't think it was in somewhere. It wasn't in Afghanistan. I think it was in Syria. Or, I don't remember. It been, yeah. Syria. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so we, and I, I may have got this wrong. I think I heard somewhere that we, the U S government um, did a, did a, an exchange program of uh, give us your ammonium nitrate and we'll give you this urea nitrate. Oh, and yeah. then they just started making explosives out of that. <laughs> oh, they made, they, the exchange program was centered on uh, calcium ammonium nitrate. So urea nitrate um, in the Middle East being Syria and Iraq and that kind of thing, urea nitrate became a big deal because they had urea nitrate, they had urea prills for fertilizer, but they also had a pretty good supply of nitric acid. And you put urea in solution, add nitric acid, the little snowflakes that fall out of that, that's urea nitrate, that's an explosive. What they try to do in Afghanistan is they outlawed ammonium nitrate and tried to introduce calcium ammonium nitrate. Those particular prills outwardly are very difficult to get to detonate. However, if you put it in a coffee grinder, blender, just crush it up with a, with a stick, then now you break through that, that M&M candy coating, so to speak, and now you have functional ammonium nitrate again. 
Yeah, and it's how how do they figure that out? They're they're very smart. They're very smart uh, in understanding. Well, let, let me back. They're very smart. They're very resourceful, but they're also willing to try and mm -hmm. fail. So there were times when um, you know we faced a uh, a guy who was making bombs just for us, and they used something called a collapsing circuit. And I won't go into all the details because it's right. it, it's very nerdy. But the moral of the story is they use a relay and they hook wires up and they have different batteries. You cut a wire, it activates the relay, engages the other battery, and uh, it goes boom. Well, we dealt with one of these things and this guy had us dead to rights. We, he, he would have gotten us. The only thing that saved us is the fact that he used uh, vinyl tape and didn't have access to, to solder. In other words, he couldn't solder the leads on the relay. So we took the bomb apart and in dealing with the relay, made the connection, the blasting cap went off and some guys got fragged. But the moral of the story is that sometimes they don't get it right. And that's a good day for us, hmm. but they don't give up. They keep trying. So at some point during, uh, during all the, uh, the conflict, they switched over to a lot of pressure plate stuff were you did you have to happen to be around with all that stuff um not as much in the way of uh pressure plates that was further south uh but we dealt with a lot of remote control either through cell phones or um, handheld uh, frs radios or dtmf radios those were really bad yeah that's definitely bad i i, I remember being told that they um they went to the pressure plates because we were able to the person would detonate and then we could hit drone them like pretty quickly. And they were like, yeah, screw that. Uh, let me just <laughs> go over here and do that. Because when I was doing the, the uh, NSW dogs, um, pressure plates was the big thing that we had to deal with. So we were working with individual platoons and individual EOD guys. And we had to work, had to work the dogs before their deployment. This, this platoon, um, their EOD guy wants the dogs to do this and this platoon wants them to do that. So, and it was all based on, you know, I don't want the dog to go up by the door because the pressure plates in their dogs and they're running around. And then the other guy's like, no, I want them to go up and, and you know, check the breach part right there. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So when you were um, in the unit or in, in all your dealings, when did you start interacting or seeing the dogs work and how did you work with them as an EOD guy? I, well, my first interaction um, was in the unit a long time ago um, going to actually we did a, uh, a trip to Israel and this would have been um, probably 1994 ish 90. Yeah. And I think 1994, we went to Israel and that's the first time I saw military walk, working dogs work. And the Israelis were way ahead of us uh, where that was concerned. We had, um, we went out for a demonstration in a live shoot house and we had a, a whole squadron of guys and none of us were particularly little and none of us were particularly, uh, let's say demure or passive, but they took two of the most aggressive guys and put them in bite suits and told them, uh, be aggressive and <laughs> turn, turn these, uh, these three dogs loose and uh, two of the dogs ran up the stairs and got a hold of a guy. His name is Joe Vega. And he, um, 
I doubt anybody knows who he is, but he's a badass. Um, he's a badass of badasses. Hmm. And Joe likes to lift weights. And so these two dogs came up and they hit him one on each arm. Joe picked both those dogs up while they were still attached to him and clapped them together nope. just for fun. And uh, the other dog kind of button hooked in and attacked one of the handlers. But <laughs> it was impressive nonetheless that those dogs <laughs> identified uh, identified the threat, identified the aggression, and uh, it made quite an impression on us. They also did some, uh, they just took an AK and laid it out on a hill and turned the dog loose to go find it. Dog went, you know, bracketed and uh, got in a scent cone and they went right to it. It was really impressive. So from that point on, I had a profound respect for the, the utility of dogs and how they could be integrated into finding hazards. As you're over there, were there, when you're working with like some of the guys from that unit um, and you come in, when they have come in, and Eric has said this before, like and you just mentioned it, so how integrated with those dogs, uh, with the handlers, were you on, uh, like, with some of that stuff operationally when you guys were over there? So a lot of it was trying to discuss uh, various TTPs and how those uh, – uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures change. Bad guy tactics, techniques, and procedures changed, and they would evolve over time. So, for example, you were talking about um, things like pressure plates and pressure plates near a breach point. They quickly learned through observation how we would do stacks and where they needed to put pressure plates in order to affect a stack on a on a breach point. So the stacks had to change the way they were set up, and the dogs had to be. Um, handled in a different way and all of that was just based off of what that how that team coalesced and uh did their thing to affect a breach yeah kind of some trial and error and then come out up with some things uh, um not on the fly so much but uh change yeah changing tactics all the time um in each each uh group is probably doing things maybe a little bit differently you know the way they have to do the breach and all that stuff um, it, that, that's all, that's always nice that you guys have the, uh, freedom, you know, to do that stuff. It, it's very important to not, in my opinion, very important not to fall in love with your plan because once the enemy figures out what your plan is or what your, your typical, um, MO is, then now they, they've got you, they, they can pick their weak, they can pick the weak point that they want to exploit. In that particular case, it was lining up along a wall out of breach points, and then they had to, to make those changes and location of pressure plates and that sort of thing. So um, we're going to take our first break, and we're going to come back and get into where you went, where you go after that, that period. I would be remiss, and people would be pissed if we didn't ask about being uh, at the tomb. And how did you like that? Was it awesome? I know it's a probably a bit of an ego trip. It's a, not an easy job. Um, that's third ID, I think, right? That has that third infantry regiment. Oh, regiment. Okay. And um, well, so, how was that? You know, it's one of those things where um, it was at least half luck, maybe maybe more. I was uh, I was very lucky that they were doing an experiment, taking kids that had just gotten out of basic training in AIT and they wanted to see if they could train tomb guards more easily if you had no bad habits. And so I was part of that, uh, 
I'm sure they've tried it other times, but part of that uh, experiment and uh, I had great mentors and they coached me along. It is not an easy job. It is not for everybody, but um, it is a tremendous honor to even had an opportunity to do it. Um, recently, there we had the 100th anniversary this past Veterans Day of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and there were 100 former tomb guards that came back. Wow. So at the tomb, there was a, uh, a badge that we received once we complete training and testing and so on and so forth, and it's uh, not awarded very often. Since 1948, there have been less than 700 of them awarded. So it's a, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely cool, man. That, that that's and and do people that when so when you were in uniform, you know, at either somewhere else while you're there, did did guys know that that badge? Did they recognize it? People in the old guard uh, did uh, outside of the old guard. It, most people don't know what it is. Yeah. And uh, it, it, the, uh, the subdued version of it looks kind of like a, an expert computer badge. It's kind of ridiculous looking and you get a lot <laughs> of teasing for it. It looks stupid as hell, but um, um, I'm, I'm happy to, to have earned it. I'm happier to have been there. I was, like I said, it was, it was luck to say that I was some kind of a uh, hard charger or something like that would be a false statement because I was terrified most of the time I was there. Your, your status there always hangs by a thread. You, you, uh, you have to work really hard every day, really hard. Yeah. Now, and I, I don't know how, um, you know, a lot of the inner works in, workings of the army works, but being one of those guys in there, does that get you play when you leave? Does that get you consideration for other jobs that you want to move on to? I don't think so. I mean, I usually don't even put it on my resume. I don't put it in on anything. It's just kind of like an aside of, oh yeah, I did this. Um, mm -hmm. You know, does it does it prove that I'm competent in anything? No, it proves I'm stubborn and I can stand and freeze my ass off. <laughs> yeah. Lock your knees up and not faint. Yeah, I cannot uh. faint. Um, I cannot laugh. But uh, aside from that, I don't think that it shows that I'm, I'm particularly good at anything other than being able to do that particular job. That's pretty great, man. That's cool. We've, Ted and I, I know I've never met anybody from the guard. So that was, that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, if, if you hit me up and you're in the DC area, since I live in the DC area, I'd be more than happy to take you guys down and show you some things that the public doesn't usually get to see. That's cool. It's, it's one of my favorite things there. Uh, when I go to DC is to go, go, I can just stand there for and watch that repeated ceremony over and over and over and the changing. I, it's, I, I absolutely, uh, Arlington blows me away. Um, I ran the Marine Corps marathon one year and you run through parts of Arlington cemetery. <clears throat> and I found myself looking at so much stuff as I was running and then looked up and my pace group was way far ahead. <laughs> I like just got lost in it. It was the best part of the entire race, in my opinion, was it's going quite a place. There. There's a lot of history there. Um, a lot of things to look back and reflect on. I'll tell you the going uh, back for the hundredth anniversary, watching the uh, signals and the guard changes. They are light years ahead of what we were. Yeah. They were absolutely phenomenal. 
That's pretty cool, man. That it, probably you you could go watch that even though having done it and still get goosebumps from it. You know, absolutely. Yeah, that's so cool. Ted, do you ever get to DC? Uh, not as much. I mean, I was we were up there like fairly recently, but other than mm-hmm. that, I don't not I'm not that not that close. <laughs> yeah, we were when uh, we're gonna go to break here in a second. We were, I can't remember if it was when we were walking from where the buses and everything were to the start spot. We're coming through uh, Arlington and you, you come across like uh, uh guards. Great. You know, the, all the Somalia guys and everything. I'm like, Oh shit, that's, that's them guys. And um, that was uh, that it's, it's startling to see some of that stuff, man. It, it's if you, if you're a history person or you pay attention to it, you'll definitely, um, get blown away by that place so if people have never been there they should definitely go check it out it was a it was very um intense for me to come back to arlington national cemetery to to participate in a funeral for somebody that i was in the the unit with so i was i got to the unit about uh three weeks before um mogadishu Mm-hmm. and then bad things happen and the next thing you know we're you know on a plane and a bus to go to arlington i'm thinking you know i spent the first part of my military career looking up to all these guys and you know now we're burying one yeah yeah i don't know it's 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 that's a lot so we're gonna go ahead and take a break we come back we're gonna proceed on a little bit and um with the career and how it came to where we're at now so guys stick around uh don't fast forward through the commercials but you're going to so make sure at the end of this you look at the show notes and get all the discount codes we have amazing sponsors and uh, we're going to go and take a break stick around hits canine training conference this is america's premier canine training seminar packed to the brim with the world's best instructors and me and eric all covering important topics. There's no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, and trainers. HITS 2022 is being held in Orlando, Florida this year, August 16th through the 19th. And I know how you guys are. Everybody waits to the last minute. And in the post-Rona world, everybody's training budgets are being cut and everybody's deciding whether they're going to be able to get to go or not. So don't wait because they're not going to have an infinite number of spots and the price goes up after a certain date. So get signed up as soon as possible. It's in Orlando. We'll see you there. Be sure to hit them up. Hits K9, letter K number nine dot net. One of the best relationships we have in this podcast and in this industry is with the great people down at Kinetic Dog Food. The story of Kinetic uh, Performance Dog Food is pretty simple. They wanted to make a better premium dog food for the dogs that need it the most. Their goal is to give every working and sporting dog a higher energy level better performance, and better overall health through superior nutrition. So they formulated a line of food based on what they consider to be the optimal profile of a performing of performance dog. They've done tons of research on this. This isn't their first rodeo. These guys know what they're doing. If you're a kennel, they will come to your kennel. They will see the problems that you have. They will check out what works for the dogs that you have. Um, they're amazing people to work with. They drop ship a pallet right to you. If you want, um, I know a lot of guys that use them. There's a bunch of different formulas on there and, uh, 32 K might not be for your dogs. Maybe the 26 K works. They can adjust it. They'll give you the right ideas, what to do in different parts of the year. Winter's different than summer. It's, uh, it's really a well-run good dog food 
um, company, kineticdogfood.com. Be sure to check them out on social media too, man. They're, they're amazing folks, kineticdogfood.com. By now, you've probably all heard my story at least once. I'm usually getting tagged by dogs or hurting myself. So this next product is like near and dear to me because I actually use it. Uh, Quick Turn by Vet Care. It does great for keeping small things from turning into big ones. I use it at the kennel for uh, clients' dogs that have some issues with skin stuff or have food allergies or have environmental allergies. Works great. Keeps hot spots from making giant hot spots. And it keeps my working dogs who inevitably find magnificent ways to hurt themselves from turning it into a giant vet visit stops little issues from becoming big ones. So it comes in a spray, it comes in an ointment, it comes in a dressing. It's great for creating a protective barrier and promoting wound healing. You really only have to use it like once a day. So there's no reason not to have it in the vehicle. Since it's temperature stable, you don't got to worry about it getting hot, getting cold or anything like that. So put it in your first aid kit or put it in your cabinet. Vetcare.us on the internet, quick derm by vetcare on the inner on Instagram and on Facebook, and then hit them up with the discount code one zero WDR for 10% off your first order. So my entire time that I was a handler or a trainer in law enforcement, the cars at my department in the departments that I trained all had American aluminum accessory kennels in the cars, different cars, man, Dodge chargers, all Ford models, some Chevys, uh, SUVs, cars, everything. We loved American aluminum accessories. Um, it's a great, product a great company they've been serving uh canine law enforcement community for over 20 years if you check out their uh, website ez that's the letter z ezrideronline.com they got testimonials they got videos on how to they got a list of everything they have uh just today we made a post on the working dog radio social media showing a dog that survived a really bad crash because of the american aluminum kennel in the back of the car Check them out online, guys. Easyrideronline.com. Just let them do their thing, man. Whatever car you got for your work, your patrol car, get a hold of them, American Aluminum Accessories, and get the best in the business. Next up comes uh, training courses online from our friends down at Highland Canine Training, Jason and Aaron Ferguson. So in the post-Rona world, uh, training budgets have been getting cut. People aren't going to be able to travel, whether it be instructors or they be canine handlers and supervisors going somewhere else for training. So Highland has announced a lot of online training courses. One of those that sticks out to me is their police supervisor canine course. And it's no secret that one of the problems with canine tends to be some of the supervision issues. This course is specifically designed for administrators and covers utilization as well as liability and FLSA issues. The course can be taken at your convenience and you'll receive a certificate of completion at the end. When you go to Tactical Police Canine Training, that's letter K number nine, training.com, and use the discount code WDR30, you'll get 30% off of that course. All right, everybody, we are back. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite uh, with Todd Wilbur from Precision, Precision Explosives, LLC. So we're going through career. Uh, we're at the unit um, doing some deployments. We're doing EOD stuff doing all the stuff with IEDs and everything. So after like your last trip to Afghanistan, where'd your career, which way did you path? Did you go from there? Um, a variety of different uh, contract opportunities and ultimately ended up at uh, New Mexico tech. And I was teaching uh, homemade explosives classes there. I'm also doing um, original research on peroxide based explosives. I was very fortunate to have uh about seven or eight grad students that uh, we 
formed kind of a project plan and explored different aspects of characterization of peroxide-based explosives, as well as uh, doing some things kind of changing the characteristics of them. For example, we were able to desensitize TATP so that it was less sensitive than uh, PETN actually. We were able to do some other interesting things with HMTD, for example, make it out of Kool-Aid. There was a guy that uh, we didn't come up with this as a cool chemistry trick on our own. There was a, a gentleman that thought that it was a good idea to use unsweetened Kool-Aid, uh, use the citric acid, well, use the Kool-Aid, unsweetened Kool-Aid has citric acid in it. To make HMTD, you need citric acid. He substituted unsweetened Kool-Aid for normal like canning citric acid that you would use. As a result, you do get HMTD, but it is, uh, it's not a crystalline white powder. It's now purple or yeah. blue or orange. It doesn't smell like fish. It smells fruity and nice. The problem is that uh, it blows up. And <laughs> I uh, talked with an ATF friend not too long ago, and he said that some kids found this guy's HMTD stash in the back of his truck, and they decided to light on fire, and his truck blew up. We decided to characterize this variant, this alternate recipe for HMTD, and found some really interesting things in that, for example, uh, making HMTD using orange Kool-Aid makes a much more sensitive and much more powerful version of HMTD. And she actually wrote her master's thesis based on HMTD made with Kool-Aid, which is kind of that, fascinating. That's pretty, isn't it? Yeah, that's pretty cool. So orange Kool-Aid was more powerful? Like it was more powerful. <laughs> orange has more potential energy, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> when you make, uh, when they, when, when commercially made lead azide, which is one of the mixtures that goes into a blasting cap, they want to alter the crystalline structure and they'll use uh, dextrin. Orange just so happens that orange Kool-Aid, unsweetened Kool-Aid, has maltodextrin in it. So our thought is that the maltodextrin alters the crystal size and shape in HMTD, which makes this more powerful, more sensitive variant. Huh. Interesting. So what years were you at New Mexico Tech? I was at New Mexico Tech, um, let's see, that was in 2012 through 2015, 2016. I went to, so I went there for both classes that they have. IRTB and then the second one, which I can't remember. PRSP. What is it? Yeah. PRSP. Um, where you go out, SP, way out, PRSP. you know, every day. Yep. Um, that 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 area of New Mexico, in my opinion, is filled with vampires, but that's a whole other story. Um, and uh, I'm trying to remember what year I went to the second one. I think it was before that, probably 9, 10, 10, 11, somewhere around like that. Um I had a blast. I, no, I shouldn't say I had a blast. That's stupid. But I had a great time when I was out there. I learned a lot. We blew up a Ford Bronco, which was fascinating. And how, so when we went there, they had a guest speaker at night and he was the lead investigator at Oklahoma City. And the listen to him talk and the pictures and things that he had was so unbelievable and you're talking about how much um, info that uh, old boy had in the, in the truck. And then we go out and blow up uh, Ford Bronco 
with a tiny fraction of the amount of explosives that he had. You know, I think we used like 35 pounds. And I think he had like 600. Um, got a rider truck full. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Full <laughs> so, I mean, of that shit. Yeah. Um, so I really liked New Mexico Tech. I had a good time. No DUIs for here or in my class, which was good because they crush dudes out there on, on, uh, on, they tell you when you go there at the hotel, you're in a meeting and they're like, do not drink and drive, not even one beer. They're following you. You go over to the one bar that everybody goes to, uh, not walk next to the hotel to that place, which was pretty cool. The brewery, you go down the road, make a right, go to this other bar and they nail dudes all the time. Um, nobody, they, nobody listens. It's crazy. But, uh, that was also my first experience in altitude. And I remember we went, uh, the second class we, I was, the whole SWAT team was there and we went and played basketball and I thought I was going to die in about five minutes. So it was pretty, it was pretty tough. I nicknamed it uh Socorro stand because <laughs> the, uh, the terrain looks so much like Afghanistan and, uh, in the mornings you see all the meth heads released from the, uh, the homeless shelter and they're all just kind of milling about and sitting on like zombies and yeah. like zombies like you know starving afghans and it was uh it's a sad place in in one respect but there's a lot of good information there if you go to the, those classes and a lot of good research gets done mythbusters used to do a lot of filming out there as well oh yeah blowing stuff up there's some interesting stories about that yeah, Socorstan is an interesting place, and they love their firsties. That's what they call you guys, by the way. Firsties? Firsties. First responders, nice. your yeah. firsties. I like it. Um, I know. I walked over to that brewery <laughs> and got hammered. That's all I know. And walked back. No trouble here, buddy. That's, um, that place burned down. Did it really? Yeah. No shit. Wow. Well, rest in peace, buddy. Here, I'll pour some, <laughs> I'll pour some water out for you. Um, what, what what we're talking about, if you guys don't know, and a lot of surprisingly, a lot of law enforcement don't know, and a lot of agencies don't send their guys because they just can't believe that it's free, that all free, everything. And uh, so what it is, the, Got is that the fed money. Yeah. The government puts on these classes. Um, uh, I don't know. Is it still called IRTB? The first one. IRTB and PRSBI. Yeah, in, in, in um, incident response to terrorist bombing is the first one. Uh, going to that alone is um, is great. I I was told that they actually, since I went, probably about the time you were there, they, they even changed a little bit and it got even a little bit more information, and that everybody should go back. But the federal government will fly you there. They pay for your rental car. You have, you have to get reimbursed for a couple of things, but they'll pay for your parking at the airport that you flew from. They play for your ticket. They got your hotel, the class, everything. It is 100% free. And a lot of places still won't send their guy because they don't want to deal with the reimbursement process, but it's well worth it, guys. IRTB at um, New Mexico Tech in Socorro. Check it out if you haven't gone. It's a good place for a lot of canine handlers, explosive dog canine handlers um, don't really understand that they – I believe they actually need to become explosive, uh, not experts, but they, they need to know a lot of shit because their agency, they're the guy, right? Same thing. Like in my department, granted 20 minutes away was a bomb squad, but uh, our main bomb handler, Chris, for example, he had to go to all, they had to learn a lot of stuff about explosives. 
And then when I became the trainer, um, I had never worked explosive dog. I had to start learning a lot more stuff about it. Um, instead of just my dog, fine bomb type mentality. Um, so you get a lot of dog guys there. Um, it sounds like you, that was, that was probably a decent job. Looked like you got to mess around quite a bit. It was a, it was a good job. Uh, I think in the you know, dovetailing on what you were saying about the uh, classes, I think one of the most profound uh, visual lessons that first responders can take away uh, canine handlers are, are definitely uh, included in, I mean, you think about canine handlers that that's, really a, definitely a tip of the spear type activity uh, or, or occupation. People talk about bomb techs, you know, you walk into an ambush on purpose and you work with this dangerous thing. Well, guess who was there first? The canine guy was there first. The canine <laughs> guy found the ambush. So, you know, that's a, that's a tough job. And I think that uh, regardless of whether you're military or civilian, understanding what the potential effects are of let's say a suicide bomber and that that was my favorite part of both of those classes just the physical orientation of the suicide bomber whether they're standing whether they're up against a wall laying prone laying on their back those things have an, a, a very profound effect on the explosive potential the damage the, the casual producing potential that they have and i think that that's something that canine handlers should absolutely be exposed to and and understand actions that they can take to mitigate that potential. One of my favorite ones is when they uh, put the uh, data sheet in the briefcase and they put it on the desk with a mannequin there and they blow this thing up and it is a perfect cut in the desk. The mannequin's gone and the amount of damage that uh, went upward, it's, it's crazy to see that. I would assume some of that came from, um, experience with the Unabomber, you know, him sending packages and stuff like that to people. Um, that, that was, that was pretty cool. So, uh, when you, you get done with that, where'd we go after that? Well, I had to unfortunately take care of a wife with terminal cancer for a while. That's and a then, uh, post, uh, her passing, then that's when precision explosives started and I started dealing with canine folks in, in earnest. Uh, did some stuff down in uh, Alabama and worked with some good folks there. And it just kind of grew from listening to what canine folks have in terms of needs and understanding kind of where gaps are between, you know, you find it and I work on it. How do we bridge those gaps? What do we do to make that, that symbiosis better? One of the, uh, I was downrange and we had a detonation occur at night. Two military working dog handlers observed this detonation occurring and they passed on information to me when I responded to the post blast. And it was their observation that was the key bit of information that led to how the rest of that incident evolved. So for they uh, stated that they these uh, third country nationals were, were dragging a Jersey barrier and this Jersey barrier went over something and a detonation occurred or somebody tried to blow up the third country nationals. They didn't know which all they knew was a, a detonation occurred. So I go out and, and to the blast seat and I'm looking around and I find a battery and I find wires and I find plastic. And I, then I also find this um, metal tube that looks like a, a submunition that would have been used during desert storm. And it also has this, parachute assembly that's been deployed 
Well, it just so happens that that particular submunition has a material, let's just say that it's intended to start fires and it gives off, uh, it looks like red fireworks. And that's exactly what the canine handles described to me is it looked like it had a red firework as part of that detonation. And it was that key bit of information that led us to, well, they just ran over an old blue 97 as opposed to, hey, I have pieces, parts here that look like an IED. Mm-hmm. And you know the branch and sequels of events from it's an IED versus ordinance are two totally different things. And if the canine handlers hadn't made that observation and passed it on, then, you know, it would have been a pain in the ass. Yeah, we often hear that, you know, whether you're in military or in law enforcement, canine is disproportionately put in the highest instance of use. Um, they're always where bad shit is happening. <laughs> it's There's no other reason to have them. <laughs> I mean, they're there to find and prevent bad things from happening. So you got to go where bad things go. Um, but I'd say that all, I had a conversation with admin today. And I was joking. Well, I wasn't really joking with him, but I was like, you know, I was like, when was the last time a SWAT team ever had to, you know, like sell T-shirts to raise money for suppressors? <laughs> Never. And he kind of looked at me. I was like, but how many times do they get used? Like three times a month, four times a month? And he's like, yeah, about that. And I'm like, meanwhile, your canine guys get used every fucking day. Um, he's like, oh yeah. I was like, so not really a good use of resources. Just, just, uh, just you know, just throwing that out there. Just you know. And this is overbuying equipment, not even a damn yeah. dog. So they know um, SWAT car washes. Yeah, I know. So speaking of which, like the gap, like speaking of gaps, you said, you know, um, uh, after the precision explosive started, like what was the kind of the the formation of precision explosive? Like, why did you start this company? We really started it because uh, some folks in the canine community said, hey, um, we need different options for buying explosives. Okay, I can get an explosives license. Oh, wait a minute. We'd like to be able to have training aids that don't require a license. How do we do that? Uh, we'd like to be able to do, and it all really came from listening to the canine community and what they said they want. And you know, you guys have got enough jobs already figuring out solutions to some of these unique problems. And the learning curve that's associated with just getting to trying to solve that problem that kind of seemed like it was a good fit for us to try to solve some of those issues. And so that led to uh, formation of you know, some product development and kind of giving our company more direction because really we thought that we were going to be training and explosive sales. And we love the training aspect of it. We think that that's probably one of the most beneficial things that we do, but uh uh, we don't, we don't focus on explosive sales as much. We do sell explosives, but really it's, it's training and providing those other, other products. Oh, um, yeah, we're going to talk a lot about the other products and we're going to take a break first. So, uh, this will be our second break. Uh, so don't fast forward the commercial. Uh, we're going to come back with Todd and we're going to talk about, uh, not explosive sales, but all of the other products, which is what I think everybody wants to talk about. So, uh, hang out. We'll be back in just a second. All right, we love the Perkinsons down in uh, North Carolina at Highland Canine Training. They are great people, great trainers. They got a good business model. They're awesome folks. We've been with them for a long time. Uh, They're also super smart. They understand that a lot of agencies are struggling to have manpower, so they're not sending people away for training. You guys have been there. You know you put in denied lack of manpower. So they've created an online course 
section of their website, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. You get on there under training, the online course. But here's the best thing is they offer a supervisor, canine supervisor course, which we know a lot of uh, police canine supervisors don't get to go to training. They don't know as much as they should. Right here online, uh, the course discusses topics such as proper selection of dogs and handlers, proper deployment, effective allocation and utilization, as well as liability and the FLSA issues, which we know is where all the legal stuff comes from, interdepartmental. Uh, the course can be taken at your convenience and you will receive a certificate of completion at the end. Uh, they're offering an amazing discount, guys. 30% off using the discount code WDR30. It's a no-brainer. If you're a police supervisor and you guys have manpower issues and you can't go, get on tacticalpolicek9training.com under the training tab. Get on that supervisor's course, man. I'm telling you, it's a smart decision. Another one of our favorite partnerships with the podcast here is the one and only Dogtra. The Dogtra guys have been producing some amazing tools in the dog training world for a long time. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball trainers. If it's electric and you use it with a dog, they've probably done it. They're the best. They are revolutionizing the way you communicate with the dog. I use it daily, whether I'm using pets. Uh, I use the 200C on most of our pets. Uh, most of my patrol guys will use a 1900 hands-free, 1900S hands-free. And then I use the ball popper pretty much daily with all of our detection dogs for imprinting on our box protocols. So hit them up at Dogtra Official on Instagram and Facebook. And then you've got Dogtra.com. And when you go there, if you use the discount code WDR10, they give you 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. So if you're looking at a 1900S or that Ball Popper Pro or one of those things, it'll knock a substantial chunk off there. So hit them up, doctor.com, WDR10. So everybody knows that Ted and I uh, not only train police dogs, we train pet dogs, right? We train dogs. So it's why our relationship with Ray Allen Manufacturing is so important. They've, these guys have been doing this so long. They knew and they understand that dogs are dogs and it's not just working dog people that need things for their dog and dog training. So you go to rayallen.com. They have everything dog related you need. Anything that when it comes to dogs, pet dogs, your pet training dogs, police dogs, dogs you're training for other departments, anything you need, rayallen.com. Uh, they've got it. You can get on there. So if you're ordering stuff for police dogs and if you have a pet side, you can get it all in one, man. They ship it out. Got a nice big box full of a whole bunch of stuff. There's nothing better than getting a big box of dog training stuff in the mail. They also are great to us and they offer a discount code working dog radio, all capital letters, working dog radio for 10% off. Check them out. RayAllen.com. Great people. Ted and I use them every day. Super excited to have American Aluminum Accessories on board with us here at the podcast. These guys manufacture a wide variety of products from high quality cam locker toolboxes to an extensive line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of law, the law enforcement community. Around 1992, due to the demand for safe and secure transport for a local law enforcement agency's canine unit, they introduced the very first in-vehicle Easy Rider canine container. So it was basically what we now call just our inserts. They have continuously grown and expanded uh, the products, catering to the needs and the wants of their valued customers and high-profile clientele, and catering specifically to law enforcement. Over the years, as the needs have changed for law enforcement, they've evolved and expanded the products to include inmate transport systems, the canine training aids, which I use quite a bit of, canine inserts. Most of, every one of my guys has one of those things. And you know, you if you're not even have to be in law enforcement. I have several friends that are civilians that work 
lots of dogs that have the inserts put into their cars too. So if you got one that fits, you can do it. Uh, they also do contraband and animal control systems, just to name a few. So be sure to hit them up. The website is Easy Rider Online. So that's the letter E, the letter Z as in zebra, rideronline.com. If you're looking for them on Instagram and Facebook, it's American Aluminum Accessories. Feel free to hit them up there too. So our first and oldest sponsor that's been with us from the beginning is Arno out, out at ALM, uh, out there in, in Las Vegas area. Arno is a great dude. He makes great stuff for, for police work and sport work, suits, tugs. I'm telling you right now, his tugs are the best in the business. You can't get any better. Multiple colors. Uh, I, I buy boxes of them from him and give them out to everybody. Uh, I've got a bite suit from him. Love it. I've had it for a little over three years and it's holding up like a champ. Um, Ted's got a suit that he's had forever from ALM. Uh, we wouldn't go anywhere else, man. We love it. Arno is such a good dude. His uh, ALM canine equipment.com is the website. Get on there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom suits based on your measurements. Um, he's got stuff already, already made up. If you kind of get a kind of generic large size, maybe for everybody, the colors he has, man, is really cool. He can put a lot of stuff on those suits. Uh, check them out. ALM canine equipment.com and use the discount code WD radio for 10% off. You know, running a kennel is one of those things that I always worry about is cleanliness and safety of dogs. And it's, it seems like it's an ever changing issue being able to house dogs and move things around everything else. So the guys at horizon structure make this as easy as possible. Literally the only thing you have to do is have water and power hookups and they deliver it and you can put dogs in that day. And it comes built, comes on a trailer. They just drop it off. You plug it in, put dogs in it, and you're ready to rock. You keep them clean. You keep them safe. You keep them cool in the summer and warm in the wintertime. And it's completely custom. You can go complete mild to wild. I've seen some that were stainless steel all the way from top to bottom on the inside. And then I've seen some for a, a bulldog breeder that, you know, had smaller gates because those things can't jump. So if you reach out to them, uh, they're sitting there waiting for you to call and help you through the custom design process. They have everything from two dog ones up to, uh, I want to say like 18 or 20. It's a lot of, you can put a lot of dogs, indoor, outdoor runs. So anything you've ever dreamed of, they've got it, or have done it or can do it. So they've taken all the guesswork out of building it. Everything is pre-done to your specifications and it's assembled, dropped off, boom, you're ready to rock. Things are amazing. Uh, Rigney has one. Uh, we've had him on the show a couple of times. Go check out his Instagram and you can see he's posted it up there before. Go look Horizon up at Horizon Structures, spelled out uh, on the internet. It's horizonstructures.com. And you're going to look for the link in there that says commercial dog kennels. Or give them a call, 888-447-4337. They'd love to talk to you and get you started on the way. All right, we are back. Uh, working on radio, broadcasting the bite uh, with Todd Wilbur from Precision Explosives. Um so right before we break, we were talking about kind of like how we got to where we're at, um, you know, sitting on a working dog podcast and, you know, Todd, you told us at the beginning, you're like, I am not a dog guy. I am an explosive guy. I do not make comments. Uh, I will say things that people that I respect have told me. And uh, as far as the training aspect goes, it's not my jam. So we do want to talk about your jam, though, which is stuff that blows up. So you mentioned um, Precision Explosive started by selling, you know, explosive license. You guys went through the process of the ATF, got the permits, blah, blah, blah. You can sell C4, Simtex, whatever, RDX, anything. Um, so 
and then you mentioned um, how to do the explosive odors without a license, which is something we get a lot. Um, and so we're going to start be talking about a product that we've had the other people that started that one too on. We have, we're going we're gonna to start talking about the TAD and everything else. So give us a little bit of background on what it is that you guys make. Um, we don't necessarily have to talk about how you make it, but, um, and then to kind of like Eric and I will talk about the traditional use or how we use it. Our first uh, product offering was the uh, odor print. And the odor print is a disc that has uh, cellulose media that is infused with pulverized actual real target odor. That is then protected by two aluminum discs uh, designed by my wife. And they have cute little paw prints cut out on the side that allows odor to escape from them. We put uh, or we uh, hold all that together with rivets and we attach a rare earth magnet. All of that is packaged in metalized mylar bags. And the, the whole, the, the kind of the cornerstones to uh, any of our products related to, to odor training aids is we want to make sure that it is, first of all, an odor that you need. Uh, when I say what you need, sometimes people want things, but that's not necessarily what they need. And we want to keep you focused on what you need. And then you can also do other things, but we're going to encourage you to do the stuff that has the highest benefit and the greatest yield. And it is a, all the odor prints are considered non-detonable for the energetic stuff. And they have been rigorously tested to make sure. In fact, I assemble every single one of them and I have to pound the backside of those rivets. So every one of those odor prints gets hit at least five times with a hammer. And I can assure you that none of them have detonated. Uh, we also You're sitting do, here talking to us. <laughs> <laughs> we also have to go through DOT testing. So that's a whole process in and of itself to make sure that if there's a, a group of them and they catch fire, that they're not going to yeah, build up pressure and, and create a detonation. And so there's a whole testing process for that. And obviously it all passed. So the intent is what you need, purity. We, we stress the purity of whatever the target odor is uh, very highly. For example, using pure RDX, pure PETN, as opposed to other sources of RDX or PETN. We can talk about that in a minute. And then uh, being able to, to maintain cleanliness. So we encourage people to use gloves. We package and metalize mylar bags. The reason why we focus on that and and try to stress that is uh, organics cannot pass through inorganics. And if you think about how do you, how are pickles stored in your refrigerator? They're in a metal, they're in a glass jar with a metal lid. Otherwise, if it were in plastic, if it were in Tupperware, everything in your refrigerator would smell like pickles. Mm -hmm. So if you think about your explosive odors, your, your narcotics odors, if you're putting them in plastic, um, everything's either gonna smell like nitroglycerin for explosives or marijuana with narcotics just because they have a high vapor pressure yeah everybody knows what, i mean that's what the the yeah that's and you know when you listen to cameron talk about like store he had an entire thing on like how to store everything properly we should store together we should store together i mean there's and like i listened to it but i was like god dang i was like what can i pull out of this to give to handlers <laughs> so like, give me the, like the two sentence, like the, but I mean, it's a super, it's a super valid point. Um, and it's the purity aspect that, um, I think a lot of, has a lot of people real 
um, interested in 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 what is in 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 the product, which is actually what you said, which is actual odor. So, Eric, what do you got? Yeah, because um, when I and I feel stupid, I, I talked to uh, oh real quick from Cameron. What I took out of it, I went back through and looked, and I had all my odors in glass jars, but I had the yep. two piece lids. He's like, dude, you got to get rid of those. You got to get a one piece lid in there. Done. Like the next day. So. Thank you, Cameron. That was a good episode. Um, but when I when Cameron was here and we we're talking, we we're talking about you and your product when um, we were at lunch or something one time. And then um, a couple of days later, a couple of week, a week later, I texted him and said, hey, remind me the name of the company that has that uh, pseudo odor. I don't even know why I said that. And he's like, um, we're talking about uh, precision explosives and it's not pseudo odor just so you understand that there is actually a uh, real odor uh, mixed into it. Um, I'm like, gotcha. So I, I want to make sure I reiterate that because people, if it's not a big chunk of something, they think then it's, it's probably, you know, not real. Um, how many of how many odors for the, in that style of, of training it are you currently uh, producing? We could produce basically any, uh, any of the explosives that you want. What we recommend, however, are RDX, PETN, TNT, nitroglycerin, ammonium nitrate. Ammonium nitrate I saw extensively uh, downrange. It's in commercial explosives. It's in tannerite. Um, we also recommend potassium chloride. Potassium chloride is an all fireworks to go boom. Think about the Boston Marathon bombing. And it's also in things like matches and people don't really care around matches anymore. So if your dog indicates on matches, that's the dog's not wrong. I can make a, I can make a bomb out of match heads. We also recommend potassium nitrate because potassium nitrate is in all black powders. And then we have a couple of different versions of double base smokeless powder. All double base smokeless powder has nitrocellulose as a base, but it'll either have nitroglycerin or DNT, the skinny sister to TNT, as the second energetic. And with those, you've basically covered just about everything. Most of the other military explosives, like let's say Composition B, it's made up of TNT and RDX. Hmm. Boosters are penalite. That's PETN and TNT. And I could go on and on. But the moral of the story is if you cover those key constituents, those his key foundational odors, your dog is going to find all the rest of them. So how much, when you start this company and start uh, doing all this stuff, how much of a pain in the ass is the, is the paperwork and the red tape and the licenses? And the, I can't imagine dealing with that. ATF was actually probably the easiest of the, the three that we, we mm -hmm. did. Uh, DOT is the harshest and uh most difficult to deal with and we've since stopped doing any transportation of our own we hire out a, a third party yeah. um to do all that that stuff because they're experts at it and i'm i'm not gonna dip my toe in something that i'm not an expert at and then get the, the crap find out of me um hmm. but uh dea we've now entered into narcotics and so we've gone through uh the dea process and that's taken about a year. If we had just said up front that we're canine people, it had taken about two months and we would have had narcotics odors, you know, 
the next week. Yeah. But because this is considered a research project, it's taken about a year and numerous inspections and lots of paperwork and it's been a real pain in the ass. But at the end of the day, it's, it's worth it because now we have um, pure uh, narcotic odors that are not pseudo mm -hmm. and we can provide certificates of analysis. I think our the MDMA that we're going to be rolling out next month is 99.97% pure. And Damn. the others are, the other odors like heroin, cocaine, <clears throat> and meth are all in the 99.9 something percent pure. That's pretty cool. So what, uh, that's the thing. And, and we've talked with other people and Ted and I've talked to people on the side, you know, you get training aids from uh, sometimes from the DEA and they're 10 years old and you have no idea. And then p how, how pure they are. And people test the, the, heroin for example and they're like yeah it's like one percent or two percent you know because it comes from investigations and things like that so it's nice to know that now let me ask you this with the the explosives and the um the the narcotics that you're rolling out uh what is the shelf life on those for all of them it's about a year and a lot of that's going to depend on uh, chemical hygiene and handling it isn't that the odor isn't there it's that you probably just your normal use have probably added to the odor and that just happens uh and the, the the more fastidious you are at using gloves or using tongs or using you know something to not add to the odor the the better and putting them back in the the two metalized mylar bags definitely helps there's no special storage that's required you don't have to put them in a freezer we had a guy had the uh the two peroxides in his car for four months in the, the heat of a San Diego summer, pulled them out. They worked just fine. And so about, about a year. How big is the disc? We have two different sizes. One is uh, three inches in diameter and the other is one and three quarter inches in diameter. The smaller one was actually designed for Nort tens and the oh. dogs that, that run on the minis do really well on the Nort. The, the threshold is is low. The dog needs to put the, the nose in the can, which is something that helps with the Nort. And we've had um, more than one team pass the Nort on the first pass. That's nice. Wow. So you mentioned um, a couple of things, and this is another thing where I can kind of like talk about how Cameron was talking about how you handle things, how you shouldn't handle things and everything else. So um, you guys are partnered with um, somebody to help with maintaining some cleanliness so that it doesn't get out and nothing gets in. So talk about that a little bit. Uh, yes, the uh, training aid delivery device that Michelle Mon and Psy K9 uh, put together, we think is a phenomenal training aid. And uh, it, it has some really cool qualities in that you want to keep that odor pristine that particular device has the ability to do exactly that. So it is a glass jar. You can choose plastic. We recommend glass because of its inorganic quality. Um, but you get a, a glass jar. It has a semi-permeable membrane. It has a uh, uh, surface area where the odor escapes that you can control with restrictor caps. But you, nothing comes in contact with your odor. That semi-permeable membrane allows for odor to escape whether it's out in the open, whether it's underground, it's underwater, 
odor will escape uh, and, and your dog can find that, but nothing comes in contact with your odor. So we, we're very impressed with that technology and we're uh, very happy to put pristine pure odors in that device and sell that as an option as well. Yeah, after we had them on the podcast, I bought some. Um, I have them uh, at the place. And the, the, what I like is it's not a big, giant, huge jar. It's it's enough odor. You can hide it in certain places. And yeah, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed using them. They've been pretty good. And I was, I think we were talking before we started recording. I sometimes forget that I have them. I'm like, shit, I gotta get, I gotta use those. You know, if you, you just get in such a hurry, getting things out and, and things like that, and you get in a routine and I'm like, yeah, I need to start using more of those. Um, Ted, do you dick around with the, do you do the Norton test stuff? In general, uh, we did not really, not unless we have a specific um, thing for it. All the guys in our area are all uh, TSA stuff, mm -hmm. so they're the one, and they're run through Lackland or um, the ATF program. So they're either food dogs or they're part of that pro program from Lackland, where the dogs are trained down there, and then the cops—they're still like department employees, but the dogs are run and they're paid by think by through. TSA or something. So, but yeah. now we don't have to mess with a whole lot. Yeah. Well, I've never, I've never really, I've done it a little bit, but I haven't spent extensive time. They, they have to specifically ask. And as we know, the, one of the most important parts of the Nort test is teaching your dog the, to do cans just to, <laughs> yes. to, to train in the cans. Yeah. So, so one of the things we're talking, we'll go back to where Ted and I said, we say nope to a lot of stuff. Um, HMEs, TATP specifically, is one of the nopes, right? And it should be a nope for most people. Uh, around here, what we typically do is, you know, in Ohio, there's seven odors that you have to take to certify in. Um, PC is not one of them, as we talked about before, which was, uh, it's weird that it's not one of them. Um, but then the feds run like a, a three or four day workshop with, uh, TATP, HMTD, and uh, one or two others. And um, because the TATP is so volatile. Uh, but as we know from around the, the world in the last, what, I don't know, 10, 12 years, there's been massive bombings involving HMEs. And I know you said you had saw that overseas downrange a lot. Did you manage to harness that and get in your product? Yes, we have uh, both TATP and HMTD in odor print form, and they are perfectly safe in, in that form. Um, we've had dogs imprinted on it. They've been tested on it. They work just fine on both uh, HMTD and, and TATP. I, to your point about recommending whether or not you would do it, I, when people ask about whether or not, should, you know, should I get peroxides? As a bomb guy, unless people are making, you know, you've got college kids or, you know, just some dumbass who thinks it's a cool idea to, to make large quantities of TATP, TATP and HMTD are primarily used as a primary explosive. In other words, they're the first explosive, like the blasting cap. Mm -hmm. That blasting cap is going to be put in a secondary explosive. Your dog is imprinted on the secondary explosive. And there's going to be a lot more of that. Mm. People have made main charges from TATP and HMTD. So it's not outside the realm of possibility. 
Um, again, if there's a requirement for it, if you just think, you know, I need to cover all my bases, by all means, go ahead, imprint your dog and, and run on it. But there are safe alternatives to that. And uh, we, we uh, feel like we have a good offering for that. Yeah, I th um, that stuff I've, I've always been told is insanely unstable. It is, it is very unstable. There are a lot of variables. For example, if you do not wash out the acid uh, thoroughly in TATP, it is very sensitive. But I will tell you that there is something that to me is, a, is an even more sensitive, we'll just call it a, a, a hidden danger that I, I try to make sure that um, first responders are aware of. And that's Armstrong's mixture. Armstrong's mixture, you've played with Armstrong's mixture, you may not know it, but if you've ever had a cap gun or ever played with those little paper things, a little, a little uh, wads of paper that you throw on the ground, little poppets, yeah. that's, Arm, that's Armstrong's mixture. And Armstrong's mixture is made up of red phosphorus and potassium chlorate. And you think, well, when am I ever going to run into red phosphorus and potassium chlorate? If I take out a book of matches, the potassium chlorate are the match heads. The red striker on the side is red phosphorus. Mm -hmm. So it is possible to make Armstrong's mixture from something that has no controls whatsoever. And why am I so adamant about making sure that you understand about Armstrong's mixture? Um, in Afghanistan, we ran across a, a, a bomb where they had taken a non-electric blasting cap, the one that normally takes time to use, it doesn't have wires out of, out of it or anything like that. They took a non-electric blasting cap and converted it into an electric blasting cap. How did they do that? They put Armstrong's mixture down in the blasting cap and then took a little small appliance light and put that in the blasting cap and then crimped it all together. The Armstrong's mixture is very friction sensitive, very crush sensitive, and also very heat sensitive. So the moral of the story is you could encounter Armstrong's mixture and not realize that that's what it is. And it is very sensitive. It is also not a white powder. It may be green tinted. It may be reddish brown tinted, but those unknown white powders or unknown powders can be, uh, can be dangerous. And your dog will alert to it because it has potassium chlorate present. Mm -hmm. I just know that if, if we go to a scene now with HMTD, I'm looking around for somebody standing in the crowd. They've got like orange fingers, some fucking <laughs> Kool-Aid motherfucker over there with some red cherry lipstick on and, and uh, some crazy dude with some gunk on his fingers. Cause uh, <laughs> not, a, not just Afghans are, are, are uh, intuitive or in, you know, have that ingenuity. Yep, um, exactly. So precision explosives though, we were talking beforehand. You also sell though, uh, regular live odor for training aids as well. We do. We sell uh, you know, a wide array of explosives. And again, we focus on, on purity and preventing cross-contamination. One of the big things is making sure that nitroglycerin is always kept by itself. Um, mm -hmm. We package everything up separately so that they don't cross-contaminate each other. Same thing with our narcotics odors. Are the narcotics ones available yet? They are. They just rolled out yesterday, yep. matter of fact. So today is February 8th. 8th. So this is going to publish 
towards the end of the month or beginning of March. So by the time you're hearing this, they're already out. So ready to go. Yeah. So go buy some. <laughs> they will, they're yeah. right now they're available in a, uh, a tad form. We use uh, a, a very amazing, uh, let's just call it a super soak on steroids. If, mm. if Superman was a stoke, was a soak, this is the material. Um, it's, it's a, I'm sure Cameron Ford's talked about the get sent technology. Oh yeah. Where it's able to absorb it. It does more in terms of absorption of all the things that are being emitted, uh, than any other material, more than cotton, more than cellulose, more than a material called PDMS. It absorbs everything there just because of its, its, its chemical properties. And then releases that odor over the course of time, six months to a year. And so we use that material in a, in a tad, uh, as one form. And then, uh, we're exclusively offering a, uh, an odor print. In other words, you can't go to get sent and get this material any other way, um, with an odor print form. And that has all the narcotics odors as well. So we go back to the safe, uh, not safe, but the, uh, storage of it. And you talk about you know, nit- nitroglycerin, you keep separate from others. If you were, if you, if you were a law enforcement agency and you had a limited space on the narcotics, what one, what's one odor you would definitely keep aside because it's going to permeate everything else? Well, marijuana definitely has the highest vapor pressure. So you have to really kind of look at that as what has the highest vapor pressure, but segregating odors from each other can be as simple as the packaging material. So yeah. if you're going back to that, you know, the glass vial with the, the metal top, even if you have a uh, you know, plastic evidence bag or something like that, as long as it, the outer barrier is something that is glass or metal, you're in good shape. And you want to take them out one at a time, not in, in multiples, barrier paper, gloves, the, that whole routine. That's cool. Yeah. I, and that's good to know about the vapor pressure because we, uh, we obviously know what marijuana smells like. And if you are not, if it's not sealed in the case, you open your case, you're like, Oh my gosh, like that stinks. But I did, I didn't know if it was just because we are all sensitive noses to marijuana smell. It, it comes down to vapor pressure. And uh, we actually uh, on our website, we even have a, a graphic that shows relative vapor pressures of energetics and things you, you should be mindful of with, with that, reg- with regard to vapor pressure. It, it, you know, think about, the thing with the highest vapor pressure has the, the greatest potential to permeate through other barriers. It's not just that it's escaping its containment, it's going into others. Oh. So it is possible, uh, in fact, probable that if you have, let's say, uh, nitro-based dynamite in things like arson bags or plastic bags or Tupperware or anything that's, that's plastic, and then you have your other odors also in plastics. That nitroglycerin will will escape its own barrier and then penetrate the barrier of your other odors. So, in, in other words, everything in your kit now smells like nitroglycerin. With our narcotics, everything in your kit now smells like weed. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah. We used to always store in uh, Tupperware, you know, back in the day, and I'd be like man this whole damn safe stinks like this <laughs> you know so real quick before we uh before we wrap it up uh ted was um getting some stuff squared away and you and i had a start having a conversation and this is this is a conversation that um 
a lot of guys who've been around for a while as handlers would be like, yeah, we, we, we smell that odor and we use that odor. Uh, talk about the one odor that you and I are talking about that we just don't understand why it's still being trained and used the tetral tetral. Oh, tetral is a, is a, it was a terrible idea for anybody to, uh, to use. I mean, we, after, uh, RDX was created in world war II, tetral became obsolete. And in fact, we've spent, uh, decades getting rid of all the tetral supplies in the United States. It was used in boosters and, and ordnance. And we've spent a lot of time and effort and money getting rid of tetral only to have it be listed as a required odor in by certain agencies. And now we're importing tetral from China, uh, to run dogs on it. The, you may say, well, you know, if it's a threat, we, you know, there's no stone unturned. We've got to, you know, we've got to do that. However, tetral oftentimes is a fine powder and it is a carcinogen. And, mm. you know, if you're running a dog every month on tetral and the dog is inhaling tetral, there's a pretty good chance that your dog's going to develop a, an illness, could be cancer. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I hope that tetral once again becomes obsolete and, and falls off the radar. Yeah, we had it in Canton. And remember, I told you when I first started as the trainer, or even when I was there as a handler before I became a trainer, I didn't know what the fuck that shit was. And they're yeah. putting it out and guys are running on it. I don't think I've ever had anyone even ask. Not that I can recall, like in the, the explosive dogs we've imprinted and started everything on, like that was never... <laughs> I don't like I've heard of it but I've never like I mean like I didn't I didn't know we'd gotten rid of it but I didn't know yeah. what it was <laughs> I I've heard I was like oh fuck I don't know so as a as a molecule tetral and TNT are very close to each other they're very similar and in our experience we've run I don't know 100 200 dogs that were imprinted on TNT and then were exposed to tetral for the first time not one of them missed it. They mm. all hit tetral. Yeah, that would explain. Yeah, uh, ours all did too. I think ours was in some like long tube, if I remember right. It's been a, it's been a minute. It was in some like real thick plastic tube, and mm. um, we used to take the cap off and hide it somewhere. Um, dogs it, crushed it. Uh, it's probably a booster. Yeah, it probably been a military booster, harvested out of ordnance. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, let's um, give everybody like, how do they find you? How do they, is there online they can follow you? Are you going to be at some of the conferences coming up websites, uh, all that stuff and email or anything like that, how we get people to get going released today, the, or yesterday, the narcotics odors um, guys that are like, shit, I want to try that. How do we do this? Probably one of the best ways is go to Facebook. Um, my wife posts there often and posts the most up-to-date information on both Facebook and Instagram, and it's listed under, under precision explosives. If you're a narcotics person and you want to uh, go on the web and look for precision narcotics, it'll take you to the, the appropriate page for that. Um, so yeah, Facebook and Instagram. We also have a website and it's uh, PRE for precision hyphen exp.com, precision explosives.com. And you'll see, you know, we've got some uh, fun merch there. We've got a, uh, a shirt that uh, on the back of it, it says uh, precision explosives just here to bang since 2018. And that's kind of fun to have and some stickers and so forth. You throw all that stuff in when you buy stuff. 
And, but yeah, Facebook is probably one of the, the best ways to reach us. And uh, we keep things pretty up to date there. If you look us up on the website, you feel free to give us a call anytime. I take text messages at all hours of the day and night from people who have questions about, hey, I found this thing and my dog sat on it. Why did it do that? So we're, we try to be available uh, as, as much as possible, seven days a week. So if I'm buying the, uh, you know, the disc, the explosive disc, for example, what kind of turnaround are you looking at? So people kind of can plan ahead. Probably a week or two. We've had supply chain issues lately with getting the aluminum discs. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's just been a, a global thing, but we've got some new sources now we've, we've stocked up so we can turn things nice. around in a week or so. The, uh, it's important to know that the cost of the disc is actually pretty low. I mean, we're talking like $50, $60 per odor. So it's not like a, a massive uh, investment. So you're looking at, you know, maybe 500 bucks for a complete set of odors. It covers everything and they're good for a year. You yeah, I might be buying that tomorrow, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. The same yeah. thing with the, the narcotics odors. If it comes in a, in a tad, um, those are $75. And again, it's like 50, 60 bucks for the, the odor print version of it. And yeah. it, so it's, it's, we try to keep things reasonably priced because we understand that some people are operating on their own. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they are a small business and also there are small departments out there that just don't have the funds and they are doing the bake sale for the canine. So, yeah. Yeah. And it, that's the guys that can't really drive down to Virginia where you're at and get the, you know, come see you pick it up there or pay for the shipping with the, you know, the, the companies that you're using. So that's good, man. That's actually super fair. That's a really good uh, pricing model. Um, I'm going to get on that bitch tomorrow. I think <laughs> I, I'm about due. <laughs> so, Ted, what about you? Where are you at, buddy? Uh, Torchlight K9, letter K number nine. Uh, Torchlight Pets, um, underscore pets, uh, HRD Police K9, and working dog, working underscore dog underscore radio. It's just so awkward to say. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and you're still at Van S K9. That's the police side, though. Yeah, Van S K9 on Instagram, Ridgeside K9 Ohio on uh, Facebook. It's all pets. Uh, the, the Van S, I finally got the, the, instagram and the facebook of the van s tied together i avoided it for a while but i have it now so i just usually post on instagram and it populates over to to facebook um yeah so uh todd this was great man it's uh we didn't even touch the nuclear stuff we have to have you back on (laughs) nuclear detection dogs yes yeah right yeah (laughs) the doe's got money they could do it so story yeah that they could yeah, but we really appreciate it, man. We appreciate your service to this country and your continued stuff you're doing and helping out the canine industry. I, I'm so impressed with the what you just told me about the pricing because uh, you uh, yeah. you could have crushed it. You, I mean, you could have made it way worse, and, and I think that's amazing. Um, and I think guys are going to jump all over it. So check them out, Precision Explosives. Um, get on that, man. Get on that dope stuff because everybody knows the DEA is a pain in the ass to get licensing and you get your, you got to get your, uh, your state pharmacy license most places and then deal with DEA ain't worth it, man. Keep them out of your backyard, get some stuff, do some good training with dogs. And it lasts a year. Like you said, that's crazy. So appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, Ted, good to see you. Yeah. And, uh, Oh, Hey, real quick, Todd, are you going to be at uh blue line or hits or anything like that? We're going to be at, uh, 
K9 Cop in Vegas. We will be at uh, Blue Line. We've been at uh, all the Blue Lines uh, conferences. We, mm, we love okay. those guys. Yep. So we'll definitely be there. And um, we try to we'd like to go to hits. We're not certain we're going to be doing that right now, but we'll we'll see how it goes. But we're definitely going to the other two. Cool. We uh, Ted and I are teaching at uh, Blue Line and Hits. So make sure we'll stop by your booth. You stop by us. Absolutely. You... I'll be I'll be teaching there at uh, both of those conferences Sweet. as well. So th- if hopefully we're not uh, teaching at the same time, I'll pop in and I like to sit through your class. That'd be pretty. Cool. Likewise. So, and if I've already, I should already have odors by then I can go, Hey, Hey, I'll, I'll speak on that. So it'll be pretty good. That'd be great. Thank you. So, great. All right, boys. Thank you very much. You guys. Yeah. yeah thanks, great guys. time. Thank you. You got your reasons. I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.